Greetings. This is podcast number 37 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from therationalradical.com, www.therationalradical.com. Lately, we've been having one or two long segments. So for a change of pace, today we'll have a bunch of shorter segments. We'll discuss war profiteering by a Bush relative. What the words incompetent, idiot, and liar have in common. How to prevent GOP election fraud in 2006. Hannity shutting up Alan Combs so Hannity can continue to lie about Gitmo. And a couple of listener comments. Let's get right into it. Several weeks ago, we discussed war profiteering. Here's some war profiteering by a Bush family member. This is based on two stories that appeared in the Los Angeles Times by Walter F. Roach Jr. William H. T. Bush is the youngest brother of Papa Bush, Bush 41. In the family, he's known as Uncle Bucky. Well, George Bush's Uncle Bucky has been profiting mightily from George Bush's wars, in some ways perhaps illegally. Like with all right-wingers, the wrongdoing doesn't stop with just one thing. There are three levels of stink here. War profiteering, plain and simple. At least one major military contract awarded improperly. And there may be some insider trading on top of all that. War profiteering. Uncle Bucky was on the board of a company called Engineered Support Systems, ESSI. ESSI's military contracts expanded rapidly, many related to Bush's Iraq and Afghanistan wars. ESSI was recently sold and Uncle Bucky pocketed a cool $2.7 million in cash and stock. Remember back in podcast number 30 when we discussed what FDR said about war profiteering in World War II? No American has the moral right to profiteer at the expense either of his fellow citizens or of the men, the women, and the children who are living and dying in the midst of war in Europe. Another time, Roosevelt said, quote, I don't want to see a single war millionaire created in the United States as a result of this world disaster. I guess the Bush family doesn't believe in the Roosevelt rule on war profiteering. Now, did Uncle Bucky at least earn his bloody war profits? Did his company deliver value to the nation? Well, some of the contracts were awarded on a no-bid basis. A bad sign. Beyond that, a March 3rd Inspector General's report found that a $47 million Air Force contract was improperly awarded to ESSI. The report says the award resulted from the intervention of a then Air Force procurement officer by the name of Darlene Druyan. 
She's a known crook. She served nine months in prison after pleading guilty in 2004 to improperly favoring the Boeing company in a multi-million dollar procurement, while at the same time she was seeking a job with Boeing. And her daughter already worked at Boeing. So, was she added again here with ESSI and Uncle Bucky? Representative Henry Waxman, Democrat of California, has been pressing Donald Rumsfeld for over a year for more details. In a recent letter, Waxman said the Inspector General's report raised, quote, a significant unanswered question. Why did Darlene Druyan improperly influence the procurement process to assist ESSI? Close quote. Does Uncle Bucky know the answer? We also have here the inflated cost to taxpayers, who always get hosed when the right wing is involved. Quote, According to the Inspector General's report, Druyan's intervention assured that ESSI got the contract despite the fact that the same work could have been performed by the Marine Corps for $19.7 million less, close quote. Uncle Bucky denies wrongdoing. Quote, in an interview last year, he said he played no role in ESSI's winning federal contracts. I don't make any calls to the 202 area code, he said, close quote. 202's Washington, D.C., but for one thing, the Pentagon is in the 703 area code. We'll have to wait to see whether Uncle Bucky's denials hold any water. Lastly, we have the issue of insider trading. Uncle Bucky, you're a gem. The SEC is investigating because the government put a stop order on some field generators ESSI supplied because they didn't work properly. This was a huge contract, a major source of revenue to ESSI. So what happened? Quote, SEC files show that ESSI did not tell stockholders about the stop order until last June, about seven months after it was issued. During the interim, several ESSI executives, including Bush's uncle, cashed in stock and stock options worth millions of dollars, the filing show. Unnamed members of the ESSI board and corporate officers have been subpoenaed in the inquiry, according to documents, close quote. Ah, the Bush family. Greed at the expense of everyone else, including the taxpayers. And legality be damned. Too many OBGYNs aren't able to practice their, their love with women all across this country. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the... Uh internets uh, you cannot lead if you send mixed messages each year of the bush presidency the pew research center has taken a simple poll asking people quote what one word best describes your impression of george w bush three years ago Positive word descriptions outnumber negative ones by 58 to 27 percent. Now it's the reverse, with 48 to 28 percent 
people describing Bush in negative terms. And what negative terms they are. Three out of the four top words used to describe Bush by Americans are now incompetent, idiot, and liar. Yes, you heard me correctly. Incompetent, idiot, and liar. Idiot and liar, in fact, have especially gained, doubling since just a year ago. So, you can go up to a right-winger and say, Bush is an incompetent, lying idiot, and then rub salt in the right-winger's wound by telling him or her that the American public agrees. If this were a dictatorship, it'd be a heck of a lot easier. <laughs> Just so long as I'm the dictator. <laughs> We must protect ourselves in the next election. Unfortunately, it's too late now to ensure that electronic voting machines will be safe from GOP fraud in the 2006 congressional elections. Listen to podcast number 11, GOP Electronic Voting Fraud 101, and podcast number 17, GOP Vote Fraud in 2005 Ohio Election Provides Dire Warning for 2006 and 2008 Campaigns for all the gory details. So a simple idea. Democrats should put together however many millions or even tens of millions it costs oversampled, bulletproof, even publicly monitored exit polls for every single district where there's even a remote chance of a Democrat winning. A matchup between exit polls and actual voting results is the gold standard by which the honesty of an election is judged. Such a nationwide poll in all these districts would hopefully give the Republicans pause before they try to effectuate the widespread electronic voting fraud they've perpetrated in the past. In the event this doesn't deter the right wing, the exit polls would provide a hook upon which to base a solid claim of fraud in any district where the election results don't match the exit polls. If, of course, the Democrats would find the cojones to follow through. If you think this idea has merit, please call up all the progressive talk shows. The national ones, Al Franken, Randy Rhodes, Tom Hartman, Mike Malloy, and the local ones as well, and spread the word. Call your congressmen and senators in the Democratic National Committee. Congress's number is 202-224-3121. They can tell you who your representatives are if you're not sure. Also, post this idea on Internet message boards. Of course, put a link to the brilliant podcast that came up with this call to action. If we don't ensure an honest vote, the right wing will win the 2006 elections and increase their power, no matter how many people in reality cast their votes against them. The kind of catapult the propaganda. In my line of work, you got to keep repeating things over and over and over again. The kind of catapult the propaganda. In this clip from a recent Tannity and Combs, 
They're discussing the controversy over a former Taliban information minister now being a student at Yale. Let me ask you this. Is this guy better at Yale or would he be better off at a terrorist training camp in Afghanistan? I think he'd be better off probably at Guantanamo Bay. All right. Well, we have people in Guantanamo Bay who never did anything, according to our own Justice Department, who had no connection to terrorism, and yet they're locked up, incarcerated, no attorney, uh, no legal justice system working on their behalf. But would he be better off at Yale or being trained as a terrorist someplace? Well, again... He said he was the luckiest man on earth, that he wasn't yeah. at Guantanamo Bay, and he wasn't. He is very lucky so. not to be. You're right. Well, you're right. So I think that's probably the place where he should be if he admitted that himself. Right, but he's wait, not wait, wait, studying there's terrorism. Nobody, he's at Yale. There's, there's nobody at Guantanamo that's there for no good reason. Well, let's, that's let's, not let's, what the Justice Department Excuse me. Do you mind? Uh, there's nobody at Guantanamo Bay that's there for nothing. Uh, I want to talk about this guy. There are two things to note here. First, Hannity's bullying of Combs is about the most blatant I've ever seen. With his, excuse me, Hannity literally cut Combs off and shut him up. Second, if Hannity's going to bully Combs into silence, at least Hannity could be factually correct. Of course he's not. He said nobody is in Gitmo for nothing. The following is from a Los Angeles Times article entitled, Who's Really Locked Up in Guantanamo? It's by Tom Malinowski. He's the Washington Advocacy Director for Human Rights Watch. The second source is a Sydney Morning Herald story, Innocence Ignored at Guantanamo by Richard Ackland. Both were republished on CommonDreams.org. Essentially, Hannity swallows hook, line, and sinker and then endlessly regurgitates what he hears from the Bushians. Quote, Donald Rumsfeld said, They're terrorists, trainers, bomb makers, recruiters, financiers, Osama's bodyguards, and would-be suicide bombers. The Bush administration calls them, quote, Worst of the worst. The former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Richard Myers, said they were so vicious that if given the chance, they would gnaw through the hydraulic lines of the aircraft flying them to Cuba. Close quote. This is Iraqi WMD, mushroom cloud smoking gun type exaggeration, if not outright falsehood. According to recently released transcripts of several hundred hearings for Guantanamo prisoners, Mr. Malinowski concludes, quote, what emerges is how insignificant most of these prisoners are. Fewer than half were caught on battlefields in Afghanistan or by U.S. troops. Few combatants are even accused of having fought. Many are held simply because they were living in a house associated with the Taliban or working for a charity linked to the group. Close quote. In addition, according to the Sydney Morning Herald, quote, 86% of the prisoners were not captured by the U.S., but turned over by either Pakistan or the Northern Alliance, often for money or as reprisals for all sorts of hatreds and feuds, close quote. As reprisals for all sorts of hatreds and feuds. This isn't just the opinion of the Human Rights Watch director. An ex-CIA official agrees. Quote, Michael Scheuer, 
the former head of the CIA's bin Laden unit, recently told the National Journal that less than 10% of Guantanamo prisoners are high-value al-Qaeda operatives with any knowledge of terrorism. Of those turned over by Pakistan, he said, we absolutely got the wrong people, close quote. Some of this truly borders on the surreal. Quote, at least 10 are held because when they were rounded up, they were wearing Casio watches. And the U.S. Defense Department says these watches are similar to a model with a circuit board used by Al-Qaeda for making bombs. This model is sold in shops around the world. These are not isolated instances, but similar circumstances are repeated in the files. Close quote. I guess those Casio watches are also an indication for hydraulic line gnawing tendencies. We've already released hundreds who were held at Gitmo. Sounds like many of those remaining there should be released as well. If they're not by any stretch of the imagination the worst of the worst, that makes their indefinite incarceration without charges that much more appalling. Now listen, don't tell any of this to the Combs-trashing bully, Sean Hannity. We wouldn't want to disturb his fantasy world, the one he and his millions of listeners and viewers, unfortunately for the rest of us, inhabit. Here's a word from another progressive podcaster. Hello, this is the host of Citizen Against Lies, political talk radio that's not really radio. What do we talk about? Policy, politics, peace, war, corruption, and more. India, Iran, Iraq, Uzbekistan, Homeland Security, National Conspiracy, Bush, Cheney, Roe, Congress, ports, prisons, treason, reason, dictators, economy, money, protests, elections, voting fraud, cover-ups, leaks, tweets, lies, lies, and more lies, polls, quotes, guest rants, diebold, ballots, blogs, media, propaganda, MSM, magazines, music, books, movies, and the weather. The weather? All that and more. CitizenAgainstLies.blogspot.com Subscribe through iTunes. I've been neglecting listener comments lately, so I'm going to get to a couple of them today. First, a comment left on the podcast blog asked the disarmingly simple question, why do right-wingers want to destroy the social safety net? That they want to destroy it, of course, can't be denied. Roosevelt is dead. His policies may live on, but we're in the process of doing something about that as well. The policies Limbaugh refers to are the social safety net programs that Roosevelt started and that have since been maintained and expanded. I've gone over this in past podcasts, but then not everyone listening now has heard the older ones. So to briefly summarize, my answer would be, why do they want to destroy the social safety net? Greed and a kind of sociopathic sadism. The reason given most often by right-wingers themselves is their alleged ideology. They say they believe in small government and the social safety net makes the government too big. 
It's like socialism or even communism. That small government philosophy is just a phony construct to justify their greed. To not spend money on anyone else. To aggrandize unto themselves an ever greater share of the nation's, indeed the world's, wealth. The top 10% already have 70% of the nation's wealth. How much more do they want? 80%, 90%, Famed economist John Kenneth Galbraith put it succinctly, quote, The modern conservative is engaged in one of man's oldest exercises in moral philosophy, that is, the search for a superior justification for selfishness, close quote. Another ideological construct that the right uses to justify its greed, its hard-heartedness, its cruelty, is called social Darwinism. Adherents to social Darwinism argue that the poor don't deserve any help because the poor are lazy, unintelligent, and immoral. That's why they're poor. As Bill O'Reilly said after Katrina, Every American kid should be required to watch videotape of the poor in New Orleans and see how they suffered because they couldn't get out of town. And then every teacher should tell the students, if you refuse to learn, if you refuse to work hard, if you become addicted, if you live a gangsta life, you will be poor and powerless just like many of those in New Orleans. Social Darwinists believe that helping the poor actually hurts society. So it's good it's moral not to help the poor. See podcast number 20 for more details on this. Beyond greed, the other reason right-wingers want to destroy the safety net and thereby, and they know this, increase human misery, suffering, pain, and death, is that many right-wingers, especially the hardcore ones, have definite sociopathic personality traits. At least two of those shared with serial killers. No empathy for others, for their victims, and they derive some sort of perverse psychological thrill from knowing, and they do know since they see the results of their policies year after year and keep at it, from knowing they're causing increased human misery, suffering, pain, and death. Listen again and notice the glee in Limbaugh's voice as he contemplates taking assistance away from the proverbial widows and orphans, the least of these among us. Roosevelt is dead. His policies may live on, but we're in the process of doing something about that as well. Please check out podcast number two for a more detailed treatment of this right-wing sociopath personality issue. A listener named Richard wrote in, in part, the main reason right-wingers have been gaining lately, I think, 
is that many people have been upwardly mobile in the last generation or so, thanks largely to New Deal policies. They think right-wing opinions are a sign of social status, like driving a certain car or living in a certain neighborhood. I think Richard's correct. I've noticed that. Right-wing chic. We need to break that down. In fact, just like liberal has become a pejorative term, we need to make right-winger a pejorative term as well. So how about as a start, never say right-winger without the word greedy or selfish in front of it. Selfish right-wing, greedy right-wing policies. Those have a nice ring to them, don't you think? This brings to mind Newt Gingrich. Did you know about Newt Gingrich's famous word list? Back in 1996, he distributed a memo instructing the GOP minions to always use certain positive terms he listed when referring to GOP personalities and issues and to always use certain negative terms he listed when talking about democratic personalities and issues. The GOP has done this and that's one reason why liberal is now thought of as a pejorative. Interestingly, two of the terms Gingrich said should always be associated with the GOP are caring and humane and two that should always be linked to Democrats are greed and selfish. Talk about the opposite being true. I guess he wanted to inoculate the GOP against accusations of greed and selfishness. That part hasn't worked. We can still easily accomplish it. So, never speak about right-wingers and their policies without describing them as greedy and selfish. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you liked what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right. Last time I asked you to please go vote for Blast the Right at Podcast Alley. I want to thank all of you who did so and urge those who didn't, and there are a heck of a lot of you, could you please go vote right now for Blast the Right at PodcastAlley.com? There's a one-click link to do so on my podcast homepage. Music credits. We heard a bit of the following tunes. You Razzle Dazzled em by Bill Jacobs. Catapult the Propaganda by Nye's Music. Not the One Blues by Burnshee Thornside. No Justice, No Peace by Wachiavelli. And we'll close with a bit of Taking My Country Back by Honky Tonkers for Truth. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my Music Resources page, which is linked to off the main podcast homepage. Thanks, as always, to Tom Hartman for the Rush Limbaugh audio clip. Links to all the statistics and quotes I use can be found on my data resources page, which is also linked to off the main podcast homepage. There's a link there to Newt's word list 
why don't you see how many of those words he lists you can recognize as having come incessantly from the mouths of right-wingers. Your comments are always welcome. You can email me, rational at adelphia.net. Also, you can call up and leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. Dial 310-933-5891. If you're on Skype, you can reach me at Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. We had a bundle in the treasury drawer More than there had ever been before But every day we're drowning deeper in debt Maybe four years should be all you get Then you gave tax breaks to the millionaires And you tried to make the working man pay But you can't tax a man when his job's not there Now look at where we are today Hey, I'm taking my country back Son, you ain't been doing her right Oh, I've been watching you and I don't like How you've been treating Thank <laughs> you.